Welcome to the Bible Reading Plan Recap, a podcast from Clear Creek Community Church. We're walking through the entire New Testament together in 2024, and in each episode, we'll discuss the past week's scripture reading, what we've learned, how God has convicted us, and how we can prayerfully devote all of this in real ways. We hope it's helpful. How have your guys' weeks been otherwise? Rachel? Great. My week, this has been a lot calmer week, so I'm grateful for that. It's been a good week. Yeah. You, Lance? Good. Valentine's Day was this week. It was. We had church on Wednesday and Valentine's. Yeah, I know. You're like, Ted, you're going to mention your hard sweater was very Valentine's Day in the office. I know. Whenever you have two daughters, 13 and 11, you you got to go for it. Did they have matching ones? No, but they have, but they love it. You know, they get into it. Even my son, he he wore like red and pink to school. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Just like a party at home. I don't remember Valentine's Day when I was younger like that. Maybe I just, I don't know why I don't remember. Anyway. It's because you're old. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> your memory's slipping, yeah, Ted. old and curmudgeon. Uh, you had a great Valentine's I know your mom. Yeah. All right. Well, so this week, <laughs> sorry. Oh, no, no, let's just jump in. Uh, okay. Valentine's Day right to the, to, to the Bible reading plan recap. Thank you for listening, all you people out there who are listening and or watching. Was that on the podcast? I don't know. Okay. Maybe I hope it is. so. It'll be what it'll be. Okay. I don't know if we're going to cut that or not, but we got to start at some point. Wait, what was on the podcast? Uh, maybe I'm the, not thinking. We're talking about Valentine's Day. On... Oh, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Probably not, but. Not now. All right. So this week, we're week four into it, and uh, we did some questions last week. I think we have another question. We do. So, a little bit similar to maybe one one we've already answered, but yeah. I want to give it give it a go here and we want to jump right in. Make sure we 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 honor what we said like we want your questions. Yeah, we, we do. want to ask them. All right, so the question comes from Luke chapter 9. It says Jesus foretells his death. He says let these words sink into your ears the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But the they the disciples did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And then a, another time it happens in uh, Luke 18, very similar, where he's, he's talking about his death and they just don't understand it. It says it's hidden from them. So the question was, uh, why does it say they might not perceive it or why was it concealed from them? Is this connected to something in the Old Testament or something else? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. And we said it's similar to the question we talked about last week, which was, why does Jesus sometimes say, go and tell everyone what I've done for you, and sometimes say, don't tell anyone what I've done for me, yeah. done for you. So go ahead, you start. Me? Yeah. Oh, I mean, um, it, it's, there's this idea that Jesus seems to be uh, trying to manage how well-known he is, because he's going from place to place, crowds are following him. He has, he has a, a whole mission ahead of him, and it can't happen sooner than it's supposed to. He's trying to get to Jerusalem eventually at this one particular Passover year because he knows what's coming. And so he's got to become known enough for people to experience who he is and the kingdom he brings, but also uh, he he can't provoke the Pharisees and scribes too soon. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think anytime we have a question like this, it's sort of this combination of the human and God's sovereign plan, Yeah, you know, and it's hard to sort of, you know, delineate which one it actually is because it's always both. And so I think part of this, you can see God's sovereign plan because like we're going to talk about this week, he gets there on Passover and then 50 days later it's Pentecost. It's all a perfect, beautiful plan that was going to happen. So you can see God's sovereignty in it, but there are also all these, like we've been talking about these expectations of who Jesus was going to be, what the Messiah was supposed to do. So they also had their own blockers going on. And I think it's probably a combo of both, but yep. God uses all of it for his plan. And not even explicitly. I, I feel like there's multiple times, even in the book of Luke, where you're like, man, how do they not get it? Like based on what he's telling them. Now, granted, we know now yep. what happens pages later. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's some aspect that it's just like, Dude, it just they they just didn't get it. Like I don't know that it was always as maybe as explicit or implicit. It was just this passive, like yeah, they just didn't really comprehend. It wasn't some. Hey, I think that's a great point because um, not to jump ahead, like I do every single time, but (laughs) when we go to the road, you know, on Emmaus. They, they don't get it. Yeah. And Jesus says, hey, you don't get it. Still, let me explain it to you. Yep. And I thought that's such a beautiful, encouraging thing. Mm-hmm. 
that even after all of it, after all of his words, after his death and resurrection, he still has to say, hey, you do not get it. Even the people who are with him, let me explain it to you. And I think that's just a reminder for all of us that A, that is okay, like we've talked about before, and B, we, we need Jesus to help us to understand scripture. Yeah. We need to invite, that's why we start bread with be still in, in pray, because we have to have the spirit of God with us to help us to discern what scripture is. Because if we're just trying to understand it on our own, with our own agendas, with our own brains, we're not always going to come to the right conclusion. So to me, it's true always. You see it all in scripture and it's also encouraging. It shouldn't be like a scary thing. Yeah. All right, so we, we jump in where we, where we picked up or left off. Jeez, my words. <laughs> Luke 23, right? Yep, Luke 23. So I'm curious for you guys. I mean, it, it, we're mm, getting into things it. that I think we've, re, we've read often, we've heard often. We've been in services where we've heard passages, these passages read aloud. Was there anything, maybe if not just 23, I guess this can still be an overview. Was there any particular chunk or verse or something that stood out like in a new way or it fell fresh, I guess, like reading it that way? For me, there, um, I, I'm so familiar with the ESV translation now at this point that it does feel in a sense familiar, but in a good way, but maybe also in, mm-hmm. in not a, a helpful way. Uh, but in the mornings with my oldest, my high schooler, we listen, we're listening through the Old Testament together as we drive to school. So it's usually two or three chapters at a time. And I'm using the message translation, especially in these parts of the Old Testament, because it, it just it makes that part of the Bible easier to listen to. And I happened to, after I dropped him off, I'm driving uh, back this way, and I just switched to, uh, to Luke, because that's where we were earlier this week. And I listened to these chapters in a different translation, which instead of reading in the one I'm most familiar with, and just even a few different words here and there, it was helpful for me to like uh, experience it in wow. a fresh way, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. You don't have to be locked into one translation. Yeah. In fact, you shouldn't, I don't think, be locked into one translation. You should mm-hmm. use many to help you grab a full understanding of what's being said. So maybe this is a good point. I know this is going to feel like we're a sidetrack here. Like yeah. why, why ESV then for us? Why is that the main text that we, we use? Why is the... the I don't know if the reading plan or like in services when we're going to read for some, we're, yeah. we're using ESV. When teachers are teaching, they're using ESV. Why, why the ESV? Uh, that's the one we've settled like, on. I don't know. No, I mean I can. Tell you, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's the one we've settled on. That we're, we're we want to um, teach and preach with consistency. Yep. And so it's good to to have one that you you're just living into and can become familiar. And the ESV is a good one because there there are different schools of thought in how to translate these texts. There aren't. Um, words that map over from one language to another. And so that's why there are different translations. But uh, the, the maybe two main divisions in how people think about translating the Bible or other ancient texts are thought for thought or word for word. So something like the message, which I'm using with my teen, is more thought for thought. Sentences and paragraphs are retranslated so that the idea of that paragraph comes through. But the ESV is more of a word for word where it, it is um, more accurately throughout each sentence translated. And it's smoothed out so that it makes sense in English yeah. and there's still some poetic nature to it when there needs to be and all that. But that's the one we've settled on. It's reputable, and that's why we use it. All right, good. That's helpful. I've always wondered that. I hear people ask that every now and then, so I mm-hmm. think it's good to reiterate yeah. Yeah. why but, that is. Yeah, I think... Um, a consequence of that is it can come across like we're mm-hmm. we're, we're people that say this is the right yeah. one yeah. because there that. are churches yeah. that do that and we're that's not what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing it this way for consistency, the sake of consistency. Uh, but really, other translations are helpful. I have half a dozen that I engage with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to help me that are helpful. Yeah. And it's and I think just be beware of thinking there's a there are bad translations. Yeah. And right translations because it's it's the word of God and there's been lots of translations over the centuries and really we want people to just read the word of God and there's there's sort of problems with both because like he you said it's hard to do word for word yeah. and when you do thought for thought sometimes you lose the words but we just want people to read their Bibles. All right, let's get some recaps going. Okay, here, here we go. Luke, 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 Luke twenty-three. So I'll say one thing that I noticed. Um, a couple things that just when I was reading, like not studying, just reading, um, 
one thing um, was just how meek Jesus is in this section. And I happened to be going through, I work with Click Resources and I happened to be going through old articles. And I was reading an old article by Mandy Turner talking about um, the Beatitudes and meekness. And she was describing it as a holding back of strength. That's really what meekness is. It's not weak, it's not being weak, it's holding back your power and strength. And I thought that describes so perfectly what Jesus is doing. I mean, he's being mocked, he's being ridiculed, he, he has all the answers. We've seen how brilliant he is in a debate. And he, he, he doesn't really answer, he doesn't say anything. And I'm just like, this is the perfect example of what it looks like to be meek, to really hold all the strength and power, but to, to give it all up for other people. You know, I just thought that was so beautiful. And that's not really interpretation. I just noticed it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, when, when you think about just the act of being nailed to a cross, someone that he caused to exist mm-hmm. is driving nails through his wrists and ankles into a tree that he caused to exist. Mm-hmm. Like he, uh, Colossians 1 says everything was created uh, by him, through him, for him. Like he, he's the author of life. In fact, Acts yeah. calls him the author of life. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a little mm-hmm. bit. But yeah, that, that he... He lays down all that power and allows himself to be murdered mm. in this way. It's shocking. I also, you know, was thinking about the fact that he goes back and forth between Herod and Pontius Pilate. And I think whenever I was first reading the Bible, I was like, who, who are these people? And so I think it's helpful to just know, if you don't, that Herod is the appointed Jewish leader. So he's really appointed by the Romans, but he's the Jewish king, right? He's supposed to be under the Romans. And then Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. And so not only are they working together, but they also are both together condemned Jesus. And I just thought, man, what a, what a depiction of what's really happening here. It's not only the pagans of the world, but it, it's not only the outsiders, you know, these evil, you know, occupiers, but it's also who's supposed to be God's people. Everyone is condemning him. You have these two heads condemning him, and it's just so symbolic of what's happening right now. Yeah. It's everybody. I think for me in that chapter, the one thing is it got later in there, and I'm sure we've talked about it in, in services and stuff before, but the idea of like when you got to that point, like the curtain of the temple was torn in two and just like, it's such a small, that's only a few words, but like the implications of what that is referring to and what that, um, I don't know, just what that ushers in and what, what the, the, the symbolism of that from the, the temple where God's presence was and just then looking further into it of like, that wasn't just like a, you know, like your shower curtain or the drapes on the wall. That was like this massive, thick, like, and that, that actually happened. It was it was torn in two, and so I don't know. It, it makes me wonder. Yeah, you yeah. probably have more uh, Old Testament theology about the implications of that. Well, or... I mean, the reason it it is such a big, heavy curtain is it's meant to be a barrier between God's presence and people, because the the priests would go into yeah. the area just on the other side, but only once a year would someone go through that curtain where God's presence was on the Day of Atonement, but. Uh, and only, only, only the high priest only, could go in there. That's yeah. right. Everybody could not go in there. Only the high priest, like you said. Yeah. It, it, I've always wondered, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say always, but for a long time I've wondered, those priests and scribes who were part of the temple life that knew that this happened, but they, had, they condemned Jesus, what happened to them in their hearts and minds after? Did any I say, know. what have we done? Uh, it seems as though many yeah, just like, were further resolved to. Hey, Steve, squash Steve, you're not going to yeah, imagine you, what yeah. happened. The, the curtain is torn too. He's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, because the sky's dark. Yeah, there's an earthquake. All this happens. Yeah. All these physical signs happen in, uh, around the death of Jesus. I and I you wonder. can. They, but you know how? I mean, even what we do now, you can interpret anything how you want to interpret yeah. it. You know, I mean, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, but if you don't, you can make it whatever you want to. Sure. Uh, these these were some of the people that were calling Jesus. Uh, Satan, you know, he was working with Satan. You're doing these things through the power right. of Satan, and he had mm-hmm. to correct them. So sure, they're spinning it any way they could. But if you were looking, if yeah. you were really looking, you would have to wonder, because they knew what that meant, you know, 
better than we, than we really understand. Because for them, that was where the presence of God wasn't. They were waiting for the presence of God to return. They were waiting for it. But that was so symbolic for them. The whole temple was. I mean, I, I love that you brought it up because it's all throughout Luke. We start in the temple, we sort of end with the temple, and then we're going to get yeah, there get again there. with the axe. So it's that's the presence of God, which is the, the always the promise that God's giving his people is, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to dwell with you again. And so that's a huge moment. And all, all the Jewish readers reading this know exactly what that means. It was just interesting, like in this week, though, like starting with that, and that was what stuck with me. And then, like, I don't know, maybe it's because that's what I like clung my hat on that day and was thinking about that, like, maybe that colored a little bit the the future days, like, here's where we're gonna get to into Acts. It's like, it really is like that moment, what the implications of uh, the physical act of that curtain being torn in two and what that said. And I don't know. Yeah. And then by the time we get into the Pentecost and Acts, yeah, the Spirit of God, which is normally contained when it, when all is happening right behind this curtain, is now in people. People, yeah, Ooh. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, so this is symbolic right now. So something's happening. There's some break yep. with the old covenant. Yeah, something new is happening, but then it doesn't. We don't receive the Spirit until His ascension. And so it really is this like perfect plan that you can see laid out, like this old covenant being finished or fulfilled with this death and then the new covenant being given to us. That, this, this week is hard to talk about because it's really, this is like this microcosm of like the whole story right here. Yeah. All right, let, let's keep chugging on. Keep I chugging. Don't, on. I don't want to like bypass yeah. like you know some of that stuff. I, I mean, I guess any final word or anything you had that was like, I mean, it should, stood out to me the way the um, I think it's in twenty three ten says that um, the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, like just with all of their passion. And uh, goes on in verse twenty one. They kept shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And a third time. Um, so Pontius Pilate is not wanting to, but it says their voices prevailed. They were so dead set on this happening, uh, and so angry that mm. they won out. I don't know. they just the, the hate, mm-hmm. the, and, and mob mentality. I mean, it's just everything yeah, at once mentality. that all, and it, of course it had to happen, but you're reading this. It's so ugly like, though. Like, why? What? Yeah. It's hard to reconcile. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think also just Luke is a historian And so just remembering that he really is, like he said, I'm trying to give you an account of what really happened so that you know what really happened. And um, so all all the details in this are, I think, really important. And I think when he puts something in, it's in there for a reason. And so even just thinking about the fact that uh, Barabbas, this actual murderer and rebel, everyone demanded to be let go and Jesus took his place. I mean, just think about the symbolism of that. He actually was a sinner. Yeah. He was a murderer and a rebel against the, he was all the things that the high priests and the Romans were accusing him of. And Jesus wasn't, he was innocent and he actually literally takes his place. And then Simon taking up the cross behind him. I mean, he's this seeming like random character. He's a pilgrim who's there for Passover and they just say, Hey, carry this cross and walk behind Jesus. I mean, that to me is just amazing. I mean, just thinking like that's really what we're called to do. He was the first one to literally do it, what that looks like. There's just so much in there. All right. The yeah. Resurrection 24. 24. This is where you mentioned the, the, the road to Emmaus. Yeah. Well, even before that, I just You're think... Like, Ted, stop going ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay. like right before that. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to get through all this. Uh, so he goes, so the women find the empty tomb first. And that's just one of those, I just want to touch on it because I think a lot of times the Bible gets a bad rap for how it talks about women or, you know, you hear that it does. And this is just one of those just really affirming moments. Yeah. Whenever this group of faithful women who like in every single thing you read, faithful women are the first at the tomb and they, the angels tell them he's gone, he's risen. And then they, they're the first apostles. They're the first messengers of the gospel to the apostles. 
the apostles to the apostles is what they're called. Um, but not only that, which is amazing, but also that they weren't believed. You know, just, oh, what are you? This is idle talk. What are you talking about? Like just completely dismissed. And then when we get to Acts, they're accused of being drunk whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And I just was thinking, you know, we have to be willing if we're following Jesus and we really are his messengers and proclaiming the good news to be made fun of and to be dismissed and to be mocked. I mean, it really is part and parcel of proclaiming the good and majestic works of God is just knowing that's going to happen, you know, and that's okay because it's still true. And so just doing it anyway. I wasn't trying to skip over that. Just so you know. <laughs> <I> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Either. I didn't know what you were going to say. Ted. Uh, well, what else about that? That the the, the morning of the, the the empty tomb. I mean, that's all pretty. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it seems like they were confused. Yes. So, yes, that they went and they heard and they're telling people like the tomb is empty. That there were angels, all this stuff. But even when you get into the account on the road to Emmaus, uh, in verse twenty one. It says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Like we, we had all these hopes about who Jesus was and what he was coming to do, and they're struggling to wrap their minds around all of it, and that's when he begins to, mm-hmm. to explain. So it, it isn't, it seems as though there's a lot of confusion. What's really happening? What has happened? I think that's really helpful because there's confusion about his death, right? That's why there's all this chaos and confusion and Peter denying him. I mean, it's, it's a mess because this is not what they thought was going to happen yeah. with the Messiah. I mean, remember the week before they were laying down their coats and treating yep. him as the king. This, this wasn't what they thought. And then the resurrection also wasn't what they thought. That was not in their mindset of what could happen. Yep. I think for me at the end there, uh, well, not at the end, I guess that's in uh, 25, when, you know, there is this confusion and he says like, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer all these things to uh, enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures, the things concerning himself. That to me is a little bit like what we answered before, this mm-hmm. idea like they just really didn't get it. Well, dude, he goes back to the beginning apparently here and he starts like laying it all out and like opening their eyes, like revealing everything that had happened up to that point. And And this is one of my favorite parts in all of scripture. It's just so amazing. And I, and I think it's also just really applicable. I mean, when he says Moses and the prophets, that's the old Testament, that's Mm -hmm. their Bible, that's their scripture. And that just means the whole Bible because Moses is just the first few books. And then the prophets is the rest of them. So he's saying the all of scripture was about me. So let me show you what that looks like. That's amazing and true. And I think that once you can see that and it takes it being revealed to you, right? It's not obvious when you're just starting to read it, but whenever it's revealed to you, it really does change everything. It changes the way you read the Bible. It changes the way you see Jesus. It changes what you do after you start following Jesus. So I I love this part. Yeah. And I think, again, it's probably jumping ahead, but I don't care. Uh, you know, you see Jesus comes back, you, you know, reveals himself to these guys on Emmaus, starts laying out all the screw stuff. He starts next chapter over, he's with his disciples, he starts doing the same thing. And then ultimately, like, after Pentecost, like, Peter, that first sermon, he that's what he starts doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, man, Jesus comes back and starts, like, connecting all the dots, like, through, like, kind of giving the like the grand story of God's redemption plan and how all how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things and it's all part of this big plan and it's like that's what starts happening and I that's going to keep happening yeah, through like Stephen yeah. is going to yeah. do it yeah. Paul's going to continue <laughs> yeah. to do it through his life yeah that, that's what and that's what we do yeah. when we gather and when we are in small groups and we're like that's what we're doing is yeah. because every generation approaches the, the writings of other generations with the context that they currently live in. And, and so you have to, well, a lot of times you're not going to understand in the full way. You're going you're gonna to understand from your context, but it takes time and it takes someone helping you connect all those dots. And so it makes sense that this has to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, such a beautiful moment. I mean, have you ever seen like whenever they have artists who paint something upside down. So like they're just painting stuff and they're painting stuff and it looks like a mess. And you're like, what are they doing? Is this anything? 
and it's fun to watch them and you sort of think you get it. And then at the end they flip it over and then you can see it's this perfectly painted portrait of somebody. I mean, that's what this was like. They're like, we see bits and pieces, but we don't really, we know what we're looking for, but we don't see it yet. And then Jesus goes here. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, there it is. Like you can see them all understanding. Yeah. It says, uh, just, I'm sorry, my eyes are so bad. Oh, that's a quotation on number verse 32. <laughs> I need glasses, guys. It says, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, uh, opened to us the scripture? So it's like you said there's this like, uh, yeah, I mean, their hearts were burning. With, I mean, they were like filled with this new sense of like awe and like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense. This is This is awesome. It's yeah. exciting. It's intense. Oh, I love that too. Like there, there's a response to it. It's yeah. not just like, oh, we get it. All right, cool. Yeah. It's a overwhelming response. Yeah. It is. And I think I like the analogy you're giving where the picture is flipped over. But I would even say we're as we continue to read the New Testament, you'll see that it, they, mm-hmm. they they see it, but the details are are still fuzzy. Like they still have to, it takes years and years and years to narrow in on what to do about circumcision, which is all throughout the New Testament. And uh, food laws, and there's all these things. And so, sure, they see the picture, but it doesn't come into... Fo- it it yeah. just takes a long time what do we do? to come into focus, yeah. yeah, because of all the implications of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm only saying that because I think we can hear this or read this and think like, oh, there's this moment where it all comes clearly into focus. Yeah. And that while we do have moments where we see more than we did before, it will take the rest of our lives to see the detail of what has happened, who God is, and and what he wants for our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and for them, I mean, it was the context of the old, the scriptures that they knew at that point. And maybe this is me trying to interpret it more literally, Lance, yeah. than than that. But it's like, uh, w- in that moment, they had this revelation of all, all those it, it being revealed that who Jesus was in all of scripture before. And I'm assuming yeah. that's, I mean, that's what Jesus is telling them. It's like, can you imagine have, being a part of that Bible study <laughs> on the road? We're gonna walk along, and Jesus yeah, is gonna like. Make or I wish. yeah, here all, all all of these. This is crazy. All right, Luke twenty four. Anything else in there? This is the end. I mean, it's the end, yeah. dude. This is the, the end of that. I mean, he gets in with his disciples and does the same thing. I, I mean, I, I think the only thing that I think maybe would be helpful if I'm just reading through it. Um, you know, one thing is that he says, touch, touch me. Like it's mm-hmm. really me and he's eating with them and he's not with them for like random visions. He's with them for 40 days teaching. Yeah. He, you know, he sees thousands of people and it, this is again, so Luke is saying, so you know that these things really happen. So you have a foundation for your faith. Cause I think it's easier to read this and go, oh, okay. Like whatever. I believe in Jesus, but like, I don't really know if he was really came back, was walking around. This is really what happened. Yeah. This these are eyewitness accounts, and he was physical. Is it a different physical? Yes, yeah. because it's something different whenever he is resurrected. Some he's a first fruits of the resurrection, but he he was real. He was there with them, and that has like massive implications for what we think about. Yeah, and and most of them, most of the uh, disciples, apostles, died because of their belief in Jesus. Later, so not not what we're reading now, but later in life, they're, they're beheaded or uh, crucified themselves or any of that because they be, uh, Jesus was so real to them in his resurrection that they stake their life on it, mm-hmm. which again, carries weight for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so as I think some of even like that I remember that day that I sing about, it was in the ascension. So he's there touching me, has wounds, like this idea that like, okay, in the end, you know, all things are made new. And this may be getting into the weeds. We don't have to get it, but like this idea of like our our glorified bodies, like Jesus, he's at this point, he's fully glorified then before the ascension. I don't know, because I, I don't know. Maybe help ask the question of what I'm trying to ask. I don't even know what I'm saying. Yeah, here. I mean, we don't really <laughs> know the full answer to that, but we do know that he was different. So he's resurrected, and it does say he's the first fruits of the resurrection. So Jesus, who Jesus is now. And that is material and yeah. spirit is who we will be like when we're resurrected. And it is different. So yes, he is already glorified. He's the son of man. He is God himself. And we will be like him, which is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so to be glorified means really essentially to, to look like Jesus. 
to represent who he is, is really what that is. And one day we really will. Do we know exactly what that looks like? Not no. really. Yeah. We I know, know but we, it's still we, like that. That's a, a picture of what's, yeah. You know, how that goes. All right. Well, we finished. Hey, we, we should celebrate. Sorry. Yeah. If, yeah. For some people, I think doing this with us is the first time they've read a whole book of the Bible. Yeah, way, way to go, Lance. I mean, I'm, 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 here, high five from Cross Table. Yeah. No, I was right, at home, job. and my husband was like, wait, we're, we're, y'all are on Acts? I was like, yeah, Acts, this is it's next week. Like, we're there. We did it. Yeah. And even he was like, oh, wow. Yeah. It it took a lot of work, but it, we did it. Yep. It was encouraging. I, I like got home late uh, the other night from a, a basketball game, and one of my daughters, the bedroom light was on. I walked by and I heard the the voice of the oh, like the, the Bible app. I was like, "Who the heck is in a room?" Oh, okay, it's just the guy. It's Jesus, Ted. At, yeah, he's that's not Jesus. I don't know the guy's name that does yeah. it, but anyway. So we we we, we finish Acts and then we jump uh, back into the Old Testament into Psalm. Yeah, that, I mean that's Psalm. at the end of the week, but oh, it's yeah. worth it's worth grabbing onto right now, real quick. Yeah, since Psalm thirty one was at the end, and so. What I just wanted to do with Psalm 31 is point out that it's called, it has, a, it has a heading in your Bible that says, into my hand, I commit my spirit. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. And if you read, uh, it, it really sets up, it's written by King David long before Jesus, a thousand years or so before Jesus. And uh, I appreciate the study note in my ESV study Bible before each Psalm gives me a description of what what I could know about it before I read it. And so here it is. This is a lament that seeks help from God for a faithful person worn out with trouble and beset by enemies who want to do him harm. It's not hard to connect many of the particulars with the life of David, the author, but the wording is general enough for all kinds of people to find themselves in this prayer. So you have an ancient prayer written by David who is unjustly suffering at the time and he's calling out to God in lament. And this is a well-known passage because we talked about Jesus opened up the Old Testament, the Bible that they knew and explained how he was in there. And he's already been been doing this throughout his life because he's grabbing onto these Old Testament phrases. So verse five, into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, Mm. which is what he says on the cross. Yeah. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. And that's probably familiar for anybody who knows the crucifixion story but to know that it actually comes from David and he's trying to relate to an unjust person suffering and how God is a, a refuge. Mm. It, it's, he's, he's connecting these dots with all these Old Testament hyperlinks and it's just so rich. So that's where a study Bible can really help. Yeah. I, I, I really loved reading it because not only is it important to really, again, you're, the, there's nothing like new in the New Testament. It's all fulfillment and hyperlinks to the Old Testament. But... Um, but also just that is such a really beautiful example of Jesus just identifying with his people too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a psalm of lament. I mean, I mean, they all knew these psalms by heart. It's like whenever we go to church and we worship, you know, like we all know them and we sing them together. And that's, that's what Jesus is doing. And it's just beautiful. And he just said over and over, I mean, in that psalm, like, God's my refuge, which I just thought if, if Jesus on the cross is saying God is my refuge, then then he can be our refuge in anything, in anything, you know. It really does paint the picture as you've as we've read the like those last couple chapters of like the 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 journey to the cross, so to speak. And when you read that psalm, it is very like, man, he would have been thinking clearly. He was thinking about this, meditating, just how heavy uh, those last you know days were for him, mm-hmm. just yeah. singing in the garden and, and yeah, just knowing what was to come. And so, but still saying, Thy will be done. Yeah. Yeah. Every step of the way. Which is kind of, again, the suffering in that psalm. I mean, that's that's the general vibe of that. that, Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. All right. So, we we finished Luke. We're on to a new book of the Bible. Talk talk a little bit, Lance, about like why we go from Luke to Acts. Yeah. So when we, when we started this podcast, we, we said, we're starting in Luke, even though it's not the first book of the New Testament, and we're going to read all the way through the New Testament. Why? Because Luke and Acts go together, both written by Luke, and even in the introduction he, uh, of Acts, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with Jesus, and he's doing all that. And now, he's, now I'm going to do a whole new thing with what happened after Jesus and tell you the story of the start of the church. And so that's what, that's what Acts is, and the reason we want to read that next is because it sets up 
all the letters we're going to read. So we're going to read all these letters that were written to churches that those churches are meeting uh, in the time where Acts is written and composed. Uh, And so you'll be able to go back and connect dots from letters like to the Ephesians. We're going to read what happened there. Mm -hmm. And anyway, uh, so Luke wrote both of these. They're meant to be understood as a pair. That's why we went from Luke to Acts. We will go back and read Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, later on this year, but we've we've put them next to other books that make sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about this as a story, which it is, that was the first part of the story, and this is the second part. I mean, he even says that was about what Jesus began to teach, and then this is what Jesus continues to do. Yep. It's just this mm-hmm. one continuing story, so we should really read it that way. Yeah, so that's good. Now we're in Acts 1. Acts 1. Here we go. Yeah. This is another one where it's like the famous, like, you think of Acts 1, it's always like the Acts 1-8. 1-8, like, yeah, man. Yeah. It's like it's the like heartbeat a, of the church. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, And that kind of w- is a framework, too, of what we start to see even in the book of Acts. Yeah. That in what a, way? The, it's, at the beginning is a part of, like, we, we st- I don't know the, the whole end of this, it's just of what I read in the thing and saw on the, the Bible Project uh, deal, which um, we might send out, I guess, like we did the, the one for Luke. Okay. I think we will. Yeah, anytime we start yeah. a new book, yeah. it's helpful to watch yeah. one of those yeah. Bible Project yes. videos. But that, it, it, that Jerusalem is where the beginning acts uh-huh. is, and, Judea, and just the whole idea yeah. of the, the gospel spreading out. Yeah, That's right. It's the way. ripple. And it's not everywhere. It's not just for one group of people yeah. in one place. It really is meant to go everywhere, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, And that really is, has always been the plan. Yeah. I mean, always been the plan is you're going to be a light to the nations. It's going to be the salvation for all the nations. It was always the plan. It's still the plan. And Jesus is saying, you're going to do it now. It's pretty incredible. Um, the interesting thing, I don't know why, you know, these little things, the whole like casting lots deal. Uh. And just like maybe... Did Luke did, did Luke mention casting lots uh-huh. when they chose Matthias? No, no, the, uh, no, oh. no. In, in, oh, in, in the book, oh, in, in the, the book, book of Luke. Luke, I get Luke here. I I didn't remember it, but so this is like the first time in this in this section where it's like, oh yeah, the whole casting lots for things. It's like this idea of like, all right, God, what do you do? I'm gonna throw some dice. It in seems you. totally <laughs> yeah. random. Every small be like, this yeah. is an but, apostle. But <laughs> the going back to the Old Testament and like that, that was a common like practice to cast right. lots and yeah. And I think to remember that, that it also says that they were they were seeking scripture in that. They were they were reading the word of God about what because they knew very well what the twelve represented. So they knew they needed twelve. Because this is the new Israel. This is the new people of God. So there's twelve tribes of Israel. So there has to be twelve disciples as they go out to be the light of the world for the nations. So they knew they needed twelve. Yeah. They were in scripture and also says they were praying. And they narrowed it down to two who I'm sure they knew they knew their character, they knew them well. And then they so it wasn't just like, all right, whoever wants who wants to do it, step up. Yeah, no, I I know that, but, but it, it can may, feel like that yeah, when it you can, read it. It can. It can. But also it got me wondering, like, when did we abandon the practice of casting lots? <laughs> like in church Have history. We? Should, should we? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. We just call it something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's like, man, we really feel like God's leading us to do this or this. Okay, God, what, which one are we going to yeah. do? And- well, we do still we do still go to Scripture and pray and yeah. look at people's character and all those other things that it talks about, too. We yeah. just, I think, make that final decision a different way um, because they don't have their church structure yet either. Like, that starts to come later, who are the actual leaders of the church. And so there's authority there, and it just looks a little bit different. So we don't have to cast lots because we have people that we put in place to discern and make those decisions. No. I think this is an example of God working uh, in a people, in a culture, in a place and time. Yeah. And so this is the way their world worked. It wasn't just uh, in in this day and age people that we read about in the Bible that used this as a, yeah. a decision-making method. That's how it people... Yeah, it was a cultural way of making decisions. God chose to work through that and not necessarily change everything about their world. All right, I still got the question. When did the church abandon the practice of casting <laughs> lots? I'll have to look that up. <laughs> that I'll submit, so that yeah, submit that question. Anonymous, uh, <laughs> yeah. anonymous user. Be Google it. Yeah. Hey, I think that something that uh, might be helpful to talk about is it says that, you know, Jesus went up in a, in a cloud to heaven. And so just talking about what that means, because this, again, is like if you hear people sort of like joking about Christianity, or even if you just read it, like, well, what does that mean? He, he got, he like got on a cloud like Mario. 
Yeah. And he went up like, <laughs> yeah. what, you know? So give us a little insight. You do it. No, you go ahead. No, <laughs> I'm asking. You're prepared for this, I'm sure. Well, it's a reference back to the Old Testament. Yeah. It's back to Daniel, and it's the it's it's back to a prophecy about the Son of Man who's That's going right. to who's going to come on the cloud one like a son of man. And it's a reference to that he is the anointed one. And when it says he goes into heaven, I just think that's helpful talking about too. Yeah, um, so, the difference between heaven and just up space. Yeah, <laughs> we, we could talk a lot about that. Heaven's in the clouds. Heaven's in the clouds. No, uh, so Daniel, the second half of the book of Daniel, which has the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in the lion's den. Like, those are the familiar stories, but then it gets real weird in the second half mm-hmm. of that book and talks about this one that will come like a son of man on the clouds. And, and eventually, this one, like a man seems to take the throne of God and be God. And it, Jesus uses that language up as a title for himself all throughout the Gospels. And so if you if you don't know that and you're reading the Gospels, Son of Man seems like a weird thing, but it's actually a title he uses that you see in a couple of instances provokes the Pharisees mm-hmm. and the scribes because of uh, he, he describing himself that way. But it's one like a son of man, so it's this human who also has div- divine authority. Divine, yeah, and, and it's it's a little confusing in Daniel, and then Jesus keeps referencing himself that way, and then you see when he goes up, you're supposed to be thinking about that. Oh, yeah. this is the son of man. So That's is this right. like he, he leaves going up as an encouragement of like he's leaving the same way he's actually coming back? In the future? No, it's more it's more like he is the one that the Old Testament talked about. Okay. And he's going to s- sit on his throne. This he, is his enthronement. Yeah. The this enthronement. is his enthronement. This is when he really, he receives all power and dominion over over everything. Well, that's what I asked last week, kind of. We talked about that. Yeah, well, the kingdom bit. is there and he's already the king, but yeah. this is a different, this like, is it's the after the resurrection. Of the king. Now he really is ruler over everything because he's defeated evil on the cross. It's okay. just a different yeah. phase of the salvation plan. Fair to say. Yep. Nice. All right. Acts two. Acts two, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. it's a big deal here. It is a big deal. They're in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Uh, and do we know do we know why? What what Pentecost is all about? Is that a thing like the heart there's some festival or yeah. some I mean, it's a cultural thing. I brought with me this helpful little tool. I have a, a so Rose a cheat sheet. It is a cheat sheet. Rose Publishing makes a whole bunch of little cheat sheets like this. That oh Ted, you're gonna like this. It folds out. Look at this. Oh nice. Yeah, but uh, this is one just about the festivals, and it it has really helpful description of like what it's about, when it happens, and so it's 50 days after Passover. Okay. And Pentecost just means 50 days. Uh, so people place meaning on that word really about what happened that day instead of what it was really called for. So it's a feast of weeks. It's people bringing offerings uh, from the summer harvest, again, 50 days after Passover. And it was one of the three festivals that if you were able and you lived outside of Jerusalem, you traveled to Jerusalem to participate in. So Passover being one and Pentecost being another. So that's why that's why people from all over are all over there. there. Yeah. So it's just a big party. And it's celebrating, just so I say that one more time, it's 50 days after Passover? Yeah, and it's so offerings are given, and it commemorates the giving of the law. So uh, it's a feast of weeks, feast of harvest, and the latter first fruits. It's the time to present an offering of new grain of the summer wheat harvest to the Lord. It shows joy and thankfulness for the Lord's blessing of the harvest. And it's also tied to the Ten Commandments because it's believed God gave Moses the Ten Commandments at this time, this many days after yeah. The Exodus. The Exodus. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing to me. Yeah. So, yeah. so so the idea there is that there's the Passover and Exodus, whenever yep. God rescued his people and led them out of slavery and made him them his people at Mount Sinai with the law 50 days later. So the Exodus was on Passover, 50 days later they got the law, which showed them this is what it looks like to be my people. And then you have the Passover whenever Jesus died for the sins of the whole world as the Lamb. And then 50 days later, you have Pentecost where we're given the Spirit. And this is what it looks like. And this is what it looks like. And this is how you're empowered to do it. He pours his Spirit out. Right? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like it was supposed to be that way. It's It's almost like there was a plan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important to understand that that Jesus is, is the continuation of the story of Israel. And so it's helpful for us to know as much as we can about the, the history of Israel and how all that worked because he's fulfilling things, he's establishing things that 
they help explain, like those Old Testament things help explain who God is and what he wants for us today. So let's get into some of like, dude, this this can be one of those areas when people first read it, uh, or if you haven't heard a lot about I mean, there's some crazy things happening. I mean, there's like this mighty rushing wind, there's like flames on top of people's heads, and all these people are able to like understand what these other people are saying, and so... I don't know if kind of like unpacking. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, there, it, this this whole story is filled with hyperlinks to the Old Testament in so many ways. And we could we could sit here and pick them apart. I don't, do, you, do you have... No, you go ahead. Well, so like the, the wind and the fire are connected to the story of the Exodus because God led his people through a, a pillar of smoke and fire at night. The wind parts the sea so that the people can walk through and are saved. There are all these little connections like that, which are even connected before that to the story of Abraham and this weird s- sacrificial ritual where he splits these animals in half and a flaming fire. pot and a uh, so fire and wind go between mm-hmm. them. And so, listen, it, it can get... Whenever God's it, Spirit fills a tabernacle, yeah. it's a rush of wind. It can get super nerdy in all of this, but the... The story that I like to connect to this to, just in my own in my own heart, is the, the story of the Tower of Babel. And so tons of scholars have done a lot of work on this. But if you don't know the story of the Tower of Babel, it happens uh, in Genesis right before the story of Abraham. So Tower of Babel, you have a people who are trying to make a name for themselves, it says. They're building this tall tower to worship. They're hoping that it will... Uh, not just make a name for themselves, but their their patron God will come down and dwell among them and that whole thing. And, and the, the story goes that God looks down upon them and then confuses their language. And I read one scholar named Michael Morales who uh, made an interesting point. God's judgment in this story of uh, confusing their language and then scattering them was worse than the judgment of the flood with Noah, which came before that. And you read the story of the flood where... The, these people are wiped out and everything's decreated. It's a, a destruction. And you're like, that seems pretty harsh. But when you think about the implications of the Tower of Babel, and and once people were scattered, what what happened to people groups at that point? They they dug in their heels. War. War. They become divided. Mm-hmm. Like the we're still living with the implications of of that. Like people were no longer united under a common cause or sharing their lives. They're divided, and now it's us against them. And that still plays out to this day. Uh, and in this story, where where the Spirit comes and people begin to hear that speak different languages, all one language, it's an undoing of that. And so, so God is using the, a divided people to be brought back together and then... Uh, and then given this new, this is what it looks like to live. And so you keep reading in Acts 2, and it's like, what did they do after after they believed? They, so they heard all of these things, they believe, and they're a divided people, but they're in Jerusalem for this feast. Acts 42, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their thing, they shared everything, and it's like, the implications, the consequences of being a divided people are over. He says, no, 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 we as a, a spirit-led people will will flip the world upside down. We're going to be united. We're not going to care about our own possessions because we're going to share. We're going to care for those in need, and it just, it just keeps going. Yeah. I think what was cool for me in, in this is thinking back to, again, what happened in Luke and, like, Jesus, like, for 40 days, basically, it's like this mini seminary of him, like, revealing all the Old Testament scriptures to the apostles. And now, like, right after this happened, Peter's like, all right, I got my three-point sermon of these three, like, <laughs> right. Old Testament references yeah. I'm going to get through, and all these people are saved, and it's like the start of it. It's like, mm-hmm. bang, off to the races yep. now, uh, right before you get to, like, then that's what they were all doing. Yeah. That's kind of nuts. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. Think about Peter too. If you want to think back to Luke, which I would encourage everyone, don't, don't make this a break, right? Really try to think of this as one story and think back to everything we're talking about because it's the same theme. Yeah. And you're going to, you see the first part of it now and you're going to see more and more of Jesus's teaching start to manifest in the world through the apostles, which is really incredible. Um, but yeah, when you think about Peter hiding and denying who Jesus is, and just sort of just the mess he was in the 
in, in Luke, you know, I mean, I love Peter, but he was a mess. Mm -hmm. And then you see him take this, this position, this calling that Jesus has said, you're going to be my rock. You're going to be a leader, even though Satan wanted you, you're, you're mine. And then he gives him the Holy Spirit. And then he is the first one to preach the gospel yeah. and thousands come to faith. I mean, that's, that's the difference in what Jesus does and what he gives to us and his spirit too. And I think we we have a, a resource that we did with Yancey talking a little bit about Pentecost and just the idea of like, dude, even this first church, they're the first fruits of the harvest, like right. the first fruits of the yep. the first souls of the church, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, that's a really helpful video. We're going to send it out to everyone who is registered to get resources uh, for reading through scripture. So hopefully that's helpful. And yeah. yeah, they're the first fruits. It's it's this is what it looks like to be the people of God. You're supposed to think about that, and you're supposed to think about the fact that this is the first fruits of the kingdom. Yeah. This yeah. is the first fruits of everything. You know, hold on. I guess I want to say you said one thing that I'm like, oh, we should probably let people know. If you're listening to this mm -hmm. and you haven't let us yeah. know or signed you up to be like, resources. hey, I want resources, uh -huh. you can do that at clearcreekresources.com. Dot org. Mm -hmm. There's a place and where bread. it's like the Bible reading plan, bread, mm -hmm. where you can sign up and say like, hey, I want to not only let you know that I'm, I'm doing this with you guys, but I'd like to receive some communications, some yes. resources yeah. as we go through this. Yeah. So yeah. that's where you can find that. So Sorry. you talk about these people are the first fruits. Who are they? What stands out to me is who, who they are. Peter, in his sermon... He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. He was killed by the hands mm -hmm. of lawless men. And then he goes on um, in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. These are the people 50 days earlier shouting, yeah. crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they're the, the first fruits of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Peter is standing up and saying, like, you are the ones shouting, and he, what he did was still for you. Yeah. It, ah, man, when, when, I think, when I think about the, the depth of our sin and all of that, it's like, this just shows Jesus didn't die for you on your best day. Like, he didn't have that version of you in mind when he was hanging on the cross. He died for you at your worst. In a sense, all of us were there shouting, mm -hmm. "Crucify him! Crucify him!" So, yeah, yeah, man, be encouraged. The the pe these people who changed their lives and were devoted to all these things, they they weren't somehow worthy of it ahead of mm -hmm. time. Even after they did the worst possible thing, he still is inviting them. Because and maybe that's a helpful thing to say. We call this acts of the apostles sometimes. Or you should really think about this as acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because everything that's happening now, like Luke says, is a continuation of Jesus's work. So this is Jesus through the apostles calling to them, even after they just crucified him. Yeah. That's good. I think, I, it, sorry, you go, Rachel. Well, this is not a big deal, but I was just, whenever I was reading, I was just thinking about the, that, the waiting period before this happens. Because sometimes I feel like, especially in our culture, we want like things right now. You know, we become Christian, what's next? Or we pray for something and we want it to happen immediately. And just think about for the apostles, for all of his followers and this waiting period between whenever Jesus leaves and when they're just waiting for whatever he said is coming, which they sort of know, but don't really know what that means. And they're also scared, right? Their leader was just crucified. He's risen, but they're still outcast and they're just waiting. And so I just think that's just a good lesson for us that, that we don't, really know what the timing is going to be always, but it's okay to sometimes sit and wait on God's plan. I mean, that's a lot of what his followers had to do throughout this whole story. And it was always worth it. And he always is faithful. Yeah. I mean, I just, that, that period of time, I mean, they had a lot to noodle on because Jesus <laughs> had spent a lot of time revealing truths, like all those things we talked about, even in that question. I feel like there was probably a lot to like, let it sink in. And um, and there was purpose you know. in the wait too. I mean, like we talked about, it's 50 days later, yeah. which has all of these implications, which for sure they got when it happened. Oh, like, yeah. oh, this is the Holy Spirit and this were the first fruits. And they understood that because they were steeped in the Old Testament. Um, but they didn't necessarily know that's what was going to happen when they were waiting. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's good. I think the, the the thing that I was encouraged to at the end of that, which you had mentioned earlier, just about the 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 commentary here describing like okay so you had all these people the church is born it's here and like okay what what was the church doing together and just mm. some of those things were encouraging of like devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and so this idea of like exploring god's word and then breaking bread and praying like so the lord's supper i'm assuming yep. reminding mm-hmm. themselves of like just the events of of what had happened and you know, praying their their position or, posi- you know, sometimes prayer can, like, position ourselves mm-hmm. to, like, who God is and who we are. So, I don't know. It's just, like, it's, like, back to the basics a little bit of. it's That's what people sort of consider the four marks of a church. It's, like you said, it's, it's, it's the, um, it's the Lord's Supper. It's fellowship. So, it's community with one another it's prayer and it's teaching. It's the apostles' teaching, which for us is the preaching of the word. And if you have those four things, you're a church. That's what a healthy church looks like. Yeah. It really is back to the basics, like you're saying. And I, I loved reading that because I was like, hey, how can I think about not only is my church doing that, because my church is doing that, but am I am I fully participating in that? Yeah. Am I am I am I fully a member of this family? Like it's always been throughout history. Like it's always intended to be. Yep. Because that really is like a rounded view of the church if you have yep. all those things. All right. They also, I mean, I, I don't know if y'all want to talk about this or not, but they also held everything in common. I mean, they really did treat one another like family. And I think this is another one of those things. It's just like, well, how are we supposed to do that? What does that mean for us? Um, but they said we're family now. That's what we became when we became Christians. And so... Just like my daughter can have anything that's mine and I can, you know, I own everything that's hers, like that's how we interact. That's what this new family acted like. So that's not one of the, sort of one of the marks of the church. So do we really live into that? Yeah. I think we read that and we were like, that is, that is so foreign to yeah. the way we live. There's right. no way. And so we we dismiss it. At least, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say we. It's easy for me to just dismiss it and be like, well, that's not really. It's like casting lots. Yeah, that's just an old way of doing things, yeah. or there's no there's no real way that could happen in my life. But it should. Yeah, it should. That's what the people of God are supposed to do. That's what the people of God are supposed to look like. Yeah, that's and what it, it looks like to live a radically generous life. Yeah, of, it's all thing. I mean, yeah, it's for everyone, and it doesn't mean you 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 literally sell everything you own. Like they still had houses because they were meeting in houses, right? They were still meeting in different houses, so people still own things. They had patrons, but it still was a mentality and a generosity yeah. between everyone. It, it, it was, was an, really for, it was for everyone. Yeah, it was an open life. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we, we were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He saved and changed us. We live with his spirit now, and we're just going to share our lives. And that means it's easy for us to dwell on like the financial aspect mm-hmm. or the generosity aspect, but it was really just, it, their doors were open to one another. They were constantly breaking bread. They were praying for one another. They just shared their lives. It's fellowship. It is. And so we 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 say community, and you should be in a small group. But really, it's that is that is a, a foot. Uh, it's a discipline to help cultivate. Yes, that. All right, guys. I think we've gone a little long. Oh yeah, okay. a we lot. could keep talking. But yeah, yeah. We, we we could keep going, but I think we got to wrap it up here. Um, thanks for sitting down and going through this. I'm 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 grateful we got through one book, and I feel like I'm hitting my stride a little bit. So yeah. excited about that. Uh, Rachel, you want to pray for us as we sure, close love out? Sure, love to. you okay with that? Yes. All right. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, just so unbelievably grateful that this is a true story, that you really, really do love us this much, even though we are the outsiders, even though we're the prodigal sons, um, even though we're the ones who cry, crucify him, God, that you love us so much that you still welcome us every single time. You continue to, you continue to seek us out, Father. Help us to um, not just read this and learn, God, but to, to just fully embrace and align ourselves uh, with Jesus. Would he just be the 
author and creator and sustainer and Lord over everything in our whole lives. God, I pray that for us. I pray that for everyone in our church, God, would you encourage everyone who is maybe struggling at this point? Would you just give them um, encouragement, give them someone to walk with them through this, Father? Um, we just pray that this would continue to be a blessing for our church and that you would do, do great things, great things through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's Bible reading recap. We hope these conversations are helpful as we all seek Jesus and his word. Listen, if you go to clearcreekresources.org, we have a lot more resources dedicated to helping you study the Bible. Because when we open the Bible, God opens his mouth. Let's continue to seek God in scripture together. We'll see you next week.